All right, and we're live with JavaScript Air. Hello, everyone. My name is Kent C. Dodds, and I am your host for this JavaScript broadcast podcast that we love so much called JavaScript Air. And today, we're going to be talking about web components, uh, something that is of great interest to the web community um, and the web platform. So before we get into that, I'd like to uh, give some shout outs to our sponsors that make it possible for us to do the things that we do uh, with this show. So first off is Egghead.io, the show's premier sponsor. They have a huge library of bite-sized web development training videos. Check them out for content on JavaScript, Angular, React, Node, and much more. Egghead.io is also the host of two free Redux courses from Dan Abramoff. Uh, find them at egghead.io slash Redux. And then Frontend Masters is a recorded expert-led workshop with courses on advanced JavaScript, asynchronous, and functional JS, as well as lots of other great courses on front-end topics. Find them at frontendmasters.com. And TrackJS reports bugs in your JavaScript before customers notice them. And with their telemetry timeline, you'll have the context to actually fix them. Check them out and start tracking JavaScript errors today at trackjs.com. And that actually, that little shout out has never been changed in like the 10 months that I've been running the show. I'm pretty sure I could read or, or I could say that from memory at this point. <laughs> I can now say telemetry timeline, which is great. Um, so WebStorm is also a sponsor. It's a powerful JavaScript IDE. And give it a try for a more productive development. Uh, with ES6, Angular, and React. Use the discount code JavaScriptAir at checkout at uh, jetbrains.com slash webstorm to get 20% off your WebStorm personal subscription. And Trading Technologies is looking for passionate and inventive full-stack JavaScript developers who want to work on cutting-edge solutions in a collaborative and challenging environment. Go help them build the top choice for, uh, platform for derivative traders. All right, sweet. So that is our sponsors. We're grateful for them. Uh, let's talk about uh, next week's show. I don't actually have it planned yet. Um, I'm, I apologize for that. Normally, I do. And so if you look at the website, it's going to be kind of lonely. Um, but uh, it's going to be great. I have a couple ideas uh, lined up. Um, but as always, if you have suggestions, go to jsr.io slash suggest. And uh, I appreciate your suggestions. And as always, follow us on Facebook and Twitter and Google Plus to keep up with the latest. I'll be honest, I pretty much only pay attention to uh, Twitter. So there's that. All right, let's go ahead and introduce everybody. Um, for our panel, we have Pam Sully. Hey, everybody. And uh, I'm your host, Kenzie Dodds. Uh, for our guests, we have Rob Dodson. Hey, how's it going? Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming, uh, Monica. And I totally, I'm not going to even try with your last name. I'm sorry, no, Monica. <laughs> no worries. It took me like 30 years to get it. Hi. <laughs> nice. Um, welcome to the show. And Tishar Mather. Hello. Thank you all for coming. So uh, let's give everybody a chance to uh, introduce themselves and correct my pronunciation of their names. <laughs> First, we'll, we'll start out with you, Rob. So yeah, uh, you got it right. Uh, I'm Rob Dodson. I'm a developer advocate at the Googles. Uh, I work for the Chrome team, and I primarily work on web components. And I also uh, work on this library called Polymer with uh, with Monica and other folks. Excellent. Thank you so much. Uh, definitely subject matter expert here. Uh, Monica. Hi, um, I'm Monica. I work on Polymer with Rob. I'm one of the engineers on the team. Um, and I am obsessed with emoji and web components, and also cheese. Yeah, I work at Google. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Um, another subject matter. What, what am I? Who am I kidding? Everybody here is subject matter expert. All the guests here. Um, I'm a subject matter expert on cheese, also. So. <laughs> oh, that's great. We'll we'll get to that. <laughs> um, and Tushar. Hey guys. My name is Tushar. Um, I've been exploring web components lately, trying to in integrate virtual DOM and shadow DOM together. So yeah, pretty much. That's it. Awesome. Thank you, Tushar. Now I know how to pronounce your name. <laughs> cool. Um, great. So I like to start out the shows um, leveling the the playing field, not playing field, like the ju just making sure that we're all on, um, on the same page with what we're talking about and make sure that people understand that uh, what it is that we're uh, we're going to be discussing. So um, let's kind of. I, I would like to actually start with the why behind web components. I think that will help us understand a little bit more um, what they are, as as well as why they exist. So uh, can somebody give us an idea of um, of why web components exist and and like what the problem they're trying to solve? Uh, yeah, I could take a stab at that if you want. Um, 
So web components, uh, it's actually a set of ideas that have been kicked around for a very, very, very long time. Um, in a nutshell, it's basically the ability to make HTML extensible and let developers create their own tags that kind of get to play as first-class citizens the same way all the other HTML elements get to. Uh, it's an idea that goes way back. I think in, in old IE, there was this thing called HTCs that was kicked around. There was a thing called XBL2 that was kicked around. Never really, like, not all browsers ever really got on board. And so maybe about, at this point, maybe five years ago, um, <clears throat> they took another crack at the ideas. They, they broke it up into a set of four different specifications, which are custom elements, shadow DOM, template, and HTML imports. Uh, those four specifications sort of fall under this umbrella term of web components. And, um, and what we've been seeing is uh, all the different browsers sort of implementing each of those piecemeal. Um, so now we have kind of varying levels of support. But at this point, we, I think we have pretty much all the browsers signed on with the idea of web components are, are a good thing. They like the ideas behind it. And so now they're working on shipping kind of the, the core pieces, which are custom elements and shadow DOM. Template has already shipped everywhere. And HTML imports is still being kind of kicked around and debated. So it's basically like web components is, I, I think this is kind of a common misconception, but web components is not a standard. It's actually a collection of standards. Is that right? Yeah, totally. It's, it's, it's these four standards. And I think kind of really at the heart of it, you've got two that are very important, which are custom elements and shadow DOM. Custom elements are what let you make new HTML tags. Uh, shadow DOM is what lets you... Oh, no, did we lose Rob? Did we? I don't know. I can still For, for a second, I you're, lost you. You're back. I, everyone was frozen for me for a second, but I think we're cool. Same. Oh, OK. Sorry yeah. about that. I froze the internet. You, My awesomeness. <laughs> so you were, you were at the point where you were talking about the most important are, uh, of them, you would say, are Shadow DOM and uh, custom, custom elements. elements. Yeah, custom elements let you define your own tags. Shadow DOM lets you scope the CSS for those tags and encapsulate their markup so folks don't accidentally poke around inside of them. Well, I'm, um, maybe we can talk a little bit more about the, the problems that web components are trying to solve. So like, why is it not permissible for me to just code up my whole, um, like my whole page is just HTML and, and CSS? Like, what, what you know that that worked great for my grandpa like what, what what's the the problem that we're trying to solve with web components oh man can i take this one please do um so one of the things that i found i'm not classically a javascript developer i'm a c plus plus developer um encapsulation is a thing that you always take for granted and when i moved to the web one of the weirdest things was if i wanted to get somebody's awesome widget like a super colorful button and everything i would have to very carefully copy-paste their DOM and very carefully copy-paste their styles and make sure that I'm using the right class name, the right IDs, the right whatever that person expected. And on the other hand, I can't duplicate it. So if they use, I don't know, the class name button on their button, nowhere in my application can I use that class again because everything's going to be a mess. Um, and that's really annoying from any other framework or language perspective where you can encapsulate things and build a little box or a castle around them and just give them to people and be like, it's safe, I promise. You can just drop it in your application and nothing bad's going to happen. Um, and I think Shadow DOM in particular tries to fix that. That's it. That's me. Yep. So I do have some points, actually. Uh, so personally for me, I've been building components using React and Cycle and uh, a lot of other libraries. And what I've observed is every few years, there's some new library that you want to use, and you want to rewrite your whole application. And that's the major problem with these uh, components, because when you want to uh, make some changes, you have to actually rewrite the complete application. You can't just take a component and change the architecture there, or you can't piece by piece make those migrations. And that's what web components help me achieve. Uh, I could just create one web component with some architecture and a different web component using a completely different library or an architecture. And when I want to migrate, I can just break it into pieces and keep migrating one by one. So that's that was the biggest advantage that I got uh, using web components. OK, uh, so actually, I've got a question for you, Tishar. Um, so like, 
right right now I'm I'm way into React and I'm totally loving the component model and everything. Um, and I understand the argument that you're giving that like, you know, I it I want to be able to move um, these components from framework to framework. Uh, maybe um, not all the projects that I'm working on are are a specific framework, or maybe React is too big and Preact is um, not working or whatever. So um, I get that argument, but um, my question is like. If that's the case, why don't we just build our entire application uh, using just raw um, web components? Like, wh where does web components kind of fall over um, uh, so that you like you even care to reach for uh, a framework like uh, React or Polymer or Angular? Um, or is web components enough to stand on its own? Like, should we just be using web yes, components? Yes, absolutely. I mean, you could actually just use a web component. You could have a web component called App, and that web component does everything for you. And you can now pretty much inject that app web component anywhere in uh, any of the websites if you would like. Uh, yeah, but my idea is actually if you're using React, you might as well re use React for a web component and not for the whole application. So that way it's easier because you eventually you'll find a virtual DOM li library which is faster than React and you would want to migrate, but you can't migrate if you have the whole application just tightly coupled with React. But if you have a web component, which is just one web component, which is using React, and if you, you could isolate and give migrate that particular web component, it's the best, right? I think my favorite analogy for, for I completely agree with that, um, for, for web components is um, the question of, would you use an input for a search field in your website or your application? Like, it's not about whether um, you need a framework to build a website. I have a blog. On my blog, I have a couple of web components. One of them makes it a rain emoji. Um, but I'm not using any frameworks. I'm not using, it's just like HTML with something called emoji rain, which is a web component that I wrote. Um, and I think you, re you reach towards frameworks when your application is growing and you want somebody to do some more heavy lifting for you and um, help you build a bigger application. Yeah, I think, um you know, the question of like, can I, can I build my whole app out of uh, just web components? Uh, one thing to, to keep in mind is that the standards themselves are, um, they're, they're, they're low level, just sort of extensions to what you can do with JavaScript and HTML. So in some ways it's, it's like saying, can I build my whole app out of vanilla JavaScript? And yeah, you absolutely can. Um, there will be places where you prefer the ergonomics of like using a framework to do some things to make it more efficient. Um, but that doesn't mean that that then that framework and web components become mutually exclusive. You can use them together and, for instance, use components as, as like little leaf elements that you then sprinkle into your framework. Um, so I think that's one of the things that, that we definitely want to get across to folks is, is this idea that frameworks and web components are not mutually exclusive. You, you can and should be able to mix and match them together in ways that you know, make you feel really productive. So um, uh, if I get too far ahead of us, we can back off it. But I actually uh, thought of a question that, so when you're, especially uh, Tushar, when you're talking about uh, how you would, you know, let's say like you can package your components so that they're swappable, what happens when we're using web components when uh, multiple components have the same dependencies. Are you incurring the load of those dependencies more than once? Or is there any kind of smart sharing going on? Uh, I, I, it depends on how you're bundling your uh, components, right? Uh, if right. you are using Webpack, for instance, and if you're using JavaScript to bundle, cr to create and bundle your web components, then it will only be done once. Uh, again, if you're using HTML imports, uh, you can still um, load them one by one so i, I, I uh, eventually okay. you just you can technically hmm. optimize your loads yep interesting thanks yeah html imports naturally deduplicate so that's like one of oh, the cool. best Great. features so if so long as it's pointing to the same destination essentially so if you have 10 components that all point to dot dot slash you know food dot dependency or food dot js or whatever It'll only load it once. It'll the system will sort out. Oh, everyone's asking for the same thing. I'll just load it that one time. So that's one of the the, the nice features of, of imports. It doesn't require any additional build step or machinery to to do that one cool trick. Okay, cool. Yeah, that that sounds like that would be something that would work really well for a website. But once you bring in a framework and and stuff like you want to start writing, you know, um, future 
code things or add typings or something, then, then you're going to need to build step and, and you're going to want to minify your code and stuff. And so then anyway. using mm-hmm. something like what Tashar was talking about with uh, Webpack to bundle these things, um, you could just make sure that you're deduping. Um, it's interesting. So um, I had a, kind of a related question to our, um, you know, why, why couldn't you just build the whole thing in Web Components? Um, so uh, like I was saying, I, I understand the, you know, the draw to be able to move web components from one framework to another, from one application to another pretty seamlessly. What if I just really, really like React and that's the only thing I ever want to write anything in? Um, like, what, what are some of the things that I, other things beyond, um, you know, the shareability, what are some of the other things that I'm giving up uh, by, like, ignoring web components in that kind of a scenario? Um, I think another issue is is the potential for like future platform optimization. So, because these are standards based, um, if there are areas where the browser makers are going to be like tuning things, um, for instance, one of the ideas that I think has been kicked around before is the idea that using Shadow DOM you could potentially improve the performance of style recalculation, things like that. Because you can say you know, I'm scoping these styles to this one area right here, so I know that they're only going to affect this one chunk. Um, so there is the potential there for future optimization. Um, and anytime you're sort of close to the platform in that way, you, uh, you, you might, you know, down the line benefit because the browser makers really have to choose one common denominator place to, to, to tune things. And if everybody's got, you know, Shadow DOM, it's, it's shipped in every browser. For them, that's, that's kind of an easy place to look to be like, all right, maybe we can get some performance out of this. I think the other aspect is also the intercomponent communication. For instance, React has its own way. You, have, you could use Redux for, communi- for you know, uh, dispatching action, putting it in a store. But if you're not using Re- Redux, for instance, in your app, how do you use that component? Or if you're using an observable-based architecture, or it's, it's very difficult. The ergonomics is, is not standardized. And that's the best part about web components. So you just have a standard API where you just dispatch custom events on a custom element. And that's how everybody consumes. So you're sort of giving an API, and you're making sure that it, uh, that doesn't change. So that's, that's a big win, I feel. So um, another thing that I've, I've often wondered about web components, and, and one of the things that kind of makes me wary of them is um, the extensibility model. Um, so with, with React, one of the things I love is, is um, how composable they are um, with higher order components and that kind of thing. And unless I'm mistaken, um, web components, the compose or the... Um, uh, the extensibility model is more of an inheritance-based approach. Can we talk about that a little bit? Uh, yeah, sure. I mean, I don't think it has to be inheritance-based. Um, uh, a web component naturally, automatically does always inherit from HTML element. Um, but then beyond that, if you want to compose things together as children, uh, that totally works just fine. Um, there are uh, mechanisms in Shadow DOM to let you, you know, pull in your children and distribute them to different places. Um, so there's nothing that I can think of that, you know, forces custom elements to inherently be like uh, an inheritance-based model, or there's nothing that, that I see that like you couldn't, you know, replicate, you know, patterns that other frameworks are doing just using regular elements. There may be places where you need um, to write little helper abstractions to make those things work. Um, but that's essentially what those other frameworks and libraries are doing anyway. Um, so yeah, I can't think of any, any one specific thing where I couldn't probably like duplicate something using web components without maybe some additional JavaScript to like do some plumbing or something. So one thing that I wanted to mention is, um, if you think of a web component, it's basically a bunch of DOM that's backed by a bunch of JavaScript that you write. So that DOM can have other elements that you're putting in. Um, it can do something called distribution, where you just have like a generic slot where you can put anything in it. Um, and the nice thing about web components is that they have a very nice lifecycle API. So um, they're born in a very specific order. They get created, they get attached to the document, and you get to control what happens and all of these points. Um, 
And the other thing is that if you think about existing elements that the browser uses, they're basically very close to what web components are. So um, anything that input or video does, you could basically do with web components because that's what they are. They're a web component that the browser just wrote for you. Right. Uh, so when you talk about higher order components, I think this is something which is uh, which something which of course you can't write higher order components in HTML. So this is not something which I think uh, web components can solve definitely. Uh, but there are other ways to solve the same problem, I guess. I mean, yeah, I don't think it can be solved using web components. So, well, when you're talking about higher order components, are you talking about how, like, uh, can you give me maybe a good example, Kent, of like what you're thinking of as like a higher order component that you couldn't map to a web component? Yeah, well, so I, I, I don't really, uh, I've never actually used web components. So, like, maybe this is something that um, is totally doable in a web component. Um, it's all just been like conversations with people, but um, like a, an example of a higher order component in uh, React would be I have this button that you can configure its color. Um, and then obviously, like you'd also have an on-click handler for a button. Um, and so let's say I wanted to um, have a, spread a bunch of red buttons throughout my application. So I'd create a red button uh, Well, um, yeah, it's kind of hard I, to I, I have a better yeah, example. Why don't you give um, an example to Shark? So, so, so say, for example, you have a list item, which is a component, and you want to pass it to a a component which repeats that list item n number of times. Okay. okay. You can absolutely so, do that with web components. Yeah. We have that in Polymer. We have uh, something called a DOM repeat, which is just a little template element that basically repeats uh, a standard item over and over again. And we even have an amazing. So, right. Oh, but sorry. The, uh, the, the best part about React is that you can actually. Uh, quite declaratively uh, specify that particular component. How would you do it with web components? I think uh, maybe what you're getting at, and I remember seeing this example that uh, Brian Florence demonstrated, which was basically, it was like a fetch component that he wrote. So it was like a fetch tag. The idea was that it did Ajax. And then as a child of that in JSX, they were essentially kind of writing like a template. And the idea is whatever the return value from fetch was uh, would get fulfilled into that template, and that would end up being sort of like uh, what got rendered to the screen. Um, I believe that you can totally do that same thing using raw custom elements. But this is, this is where you're going to have to write, again, some, some, some plumbing. Um, you're going to have to basically like slurp in whatever that, that trial syntax was that they used, and then figure out how you want to stamp that out yourself using some JavaScript. Um, and so this was, I, I kind of mentioned in the chat earlier, this is something that, that I, I was sort of reminded of. Um, I think one of the things that a lot of people think is, is when they look at custom elements, they look at something like JSX uh, and some of the features that it has, uh, the ability to you know, pass in properties and things like that through attributes. And those things seem like, because they're not built into custom elements automatically, that you know, custom elements just can't do that. Um, but what's happening there is what JSX is doing is it's a little helper library that's actually setting properties whenever you, you know, write a little attribute binding. And so you can do that exact same stuff with custom elements. You're just going to need a helper. Um, and so that's what, you know, this is where things like Polymer come in, uh, or you could use JSX with web components or, you know, custom elements. Um, but again, I think this is an important thing for, for people to keep in mind, which is just that, um, because custom elements do not, or because web components do not natively add these features, so like you know, pass around templates or pass around properties through attributes, that doesn't mean that you can't still do that. You know, you just got to add a little bit of JavaScript, and that's exactly what you're doing with a framework and library today, anyway. Um, the nice thing about using custom elements is that you can you can limit the amount of uh, library code to to just the little helper bits. You don't have to have like a whole framework and to do your, your component model for you. I hope that made some sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah that, that does actually, that does help. So I, I kind of thought um, of a better way to describe like a higher order component. It's basically a, a function that uh, takes some arguments and then returns a new component that utilizes those arguments in some way. 
Um, so it's like dynamically creating components um, at runtime. Is is that possible to do in uh, with web components to like create a uh, component at runtime? Yeah. So I well, yes and no. Um, you couldn't register a new tag, um, but you could basically have components that could take in sort of like a template. Uh, again, you'd need some sort of like you know helper library to make the plumbing go. But something that takes in you know a template and then could you know, decide to render something different based on that template. The template itself could have, you know, again, like little markers for where you'd want to plumb in your, your properties and things like that. Um, this is kind of like what we do uh, with the data binding system in Polymer and what Monica mentioned using DOM repeat, um, where we basically have an element and you give it a template and you're like, inside this template, you know, I want username to go here inside of some P tags and I want, you know, and so that relies on Polymer's data binding system. Um, and you do a similar thing in React using JSX. In both those cases, the data binding system and JSX, that is just, you know, that is helper JavaScript that is, you know, on top of the platform. And so I think you can do these things using web components or using custom elements. You're just going to need to use a little bit of that helper code to make it work. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. So I, I think one thing that you, you said kind of um, made me think of something we should probably call out, and that is, um, you can actually, like, if, if I were to build a, a static website using just React, um, unless I'm doing some server-side rendering or something, um, I'm going to have to have uh, JavaScript running to actually render that out. Um, and, you know, let, let's say this static website doesn't have, like, interaction or anything. Um, on the uh, flip side with web components, I can actually um, code up the entire static website using just web components, and, and there's no... Like even disabling JavaScript, it would still work. Is that like possible with web components? Am I understanding that correctly? Uh, yes and no. So um, I think one of the things that wouldn't work is if you disabled JavaScript and you had any sort of like client side behavior that you wanted to run. But this sounds like you're kind of asking, can you can I server side render an app? Is that sort of like well, where you're well, headed? Mo mostly, I, I just wanted to to call out the fact that unless you're doing some um, you know, some dynamic uh, behavior on the client. Um, you like th this is one distinct feature between um, any framework, pretty much, and uh, web components is that you could have an entirely static site that uh, depends on, like, has no dependency on JavaScript whatsoever, um, so long as it's not like a uh, uh, has any dynamic behaviors. Um, you would like, still have to register the element, right? So it, it depends. Like if you're using Shadow DOM, you would you would need to do distribution on the client, um, or you could, for instance, uh, server render. If you're just using vanilla custom elements, you're not using Shadow DOM or anything. You can, for instance, uh, server render the, the the templates for the elements and then send all that down. Um, you would have a site that then you know visually displayed properly. Um, if you you know, if you don't have any client-side behavior, then you're done. Um, and then, as, as Tushar mentioned, uh, the other tricky bit is you need to do Shadow DOM distribution. Um, this is this idea of basically being able to sort of pull in children and display them at different places in the DOM. Um, you'll need some client-side JavaScript to make that work, uh, but you don't have to use Shadow DOM. Again, because there's four different web component specs, you can choose to just use custom elements by itself. And if you're in a really constrained environment where you know that you won't be able to do any sort of like client-side JS, then you could choose to omit Shadow DOM. Um, I think that what would be cool, and I'll share a link to this afterwards, is there's a project that a guy uh, named Tim Perry has been working on called Server Components. And it's a very cool project where he demonstrates, um, it's more kind of like a proof of concept, but he's like demonstrating Here's how you could statically render custom elements on the server, so you don't have to worry about any of the, the client-side JavaScript to like register them or boot them up. Uh, and that sends it all down. It paints properly, and that's like how he builds his blog and things like that. So it's it's a cool idea. Um, so yeah, it it some parts work, and then some parts wouldn't. The Shadow DOM stuff wouldn't work uh, without some JavaScript. Okay, yeah, and it sounded like uh, Tishar was mentioning you also have to register the elements, is that right? And that, that would require JavaScript? Right, so you register the elements um, client-side, 
uh, you call a window custom elements.define and you pass it a class and that class has all your, your lifecycle hooks and everything. Um, what that server components uh, project demonstrates is basically doing all of that server side. Um, so it simulates the DOM server side, goes, stamps all your templates out and everything and then sends it down that way. So in theory, you could have, you know, something that paints on screen. Um, it just might not be super interactive. But you'll run into that situation with any, any library that depends on a bunch of dynamic client-side JS. Okay, yeah, cool. Uh, sorry, Tishar, did you have something you wanted to, say, to add? Yep. So uh, would you define call that web components when it's rendered on the server using normal HTML and then serve back to the client? Right. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's using, like, under the hood, we're, we're still using the spec. We're using custom elements. Okay. Uh, we're simulating it, like, on the server. But to me, like, I don't know. I, don't, I wouldn't say that that's not web components. I'm just like, oh, I'm using like, a feature of the browser um, and leveraging it server side. You know? I obviously would like to be able to use as much JavaScript as I can whenever I need to client side so that I can have like, a super rich experience. Uh, but if I know I'm in a constrained environment, that's not going to be available to me. I could still use custom elements and still you know, have it render server side and still, you know, if I like writing custom elements, do things in that fashion. OK. Cool, cool. All right, so uh, the three of you have uh, projects that use um, web components, uh, in particular Monica and, and Rob. You both are working on Polymer, and uh, Tishar is working on RWC, Reactive Web Components. I'd like to uh, talk about like why these uh, things exist and uh, what um, in, in what scenarios would I use them. Uh, so Monica, why don't we start with you? What, what, uh, what can you tell us about Polymer? Polymer is a library that helps you write web components. And it does a lot of heavy lifting, heavy lifting that uh, Rob was mentioning before, so that you can focus on you know, writing your custom element rather than all the plumbing um, to get things written, like data bindings, like um, you know, very defined callbacks for what state your element is in, um, things like shadow DOM distribution, where um, it makes it very easy for your element to like accept uh, children and react to those children changing. Um, so you could you could write all of this, but it would be a lot of JavaScript that you would have to write. And Polymer is basically all of that helper around web components. Um, we also write the polyfills for all the browsers that don't have uh, web components or some of the, the specs ready. Um, yeah, and we also, so that's Polymer, the library itself. And as part of the Polymer project, we also have created a whole bunch of material design web components, which are basically material design widgets. You can drop them in your application. Some are very, very simple, like an input that floats this label and stuff like that. Um, some are very advanced. Uh, there's entire like layout elements that basically, you know, are responsive on mobile and then they expand on desktop and they do all that magic for you. And you basically just drop an element in your application and it just works. Cool. So and um, so I would use this kind of an app or like if I was building an actual application where I I wanted to. Um, yeah, just like you said, like focus on actually building my app and, and not the wiring between components. Ted, you can use Polymer elements without necessarily caring about Polymer, um, which is what I do. So you can just drop a Polymer element um, inside of your application. It just works. You don't really have to care about Polymer the library. You would care about Polymer the library when you're like, OK, I'm going to make my own web components. They're going to be awesome. Um, and Polymer is going to help you with that. OK, so I, I can use Polymer components without Polymer the library, or maybe I misunderstood you. So. Well, you, can, you, you have to load Polymer the library, but you don't have to speak Polymer to use somebody else's element. I see. OK, so what would I do if I wanted to create my own Polymer element, like my, or my own element that used Polymer? Um, like, what's, what's the API look like? Um, so we have a we, we're working on a command line interface which actually generates like a stub sample element for you so that you don't have to like start with a blank HTML page and freak out. Um, but basically the the structure is you have something called a DOM module which has a template and styles and that's the HTML for your element and the styles for that HTML chunk and then you have a script um, and all of them are basically packaged inside this taco. You basically make a taco custom element. Um, and then 
Can, can, I, I just love that. Um, I hope that's what the docs call it. <laughs> I think it actually used to be like this idea that you stuff everything inside a container. I think it used to be called the taco thing, right, Rob? I came in late and I had to learn about this. I don't know if we ever called it that, but I mean, we can go back and add that for sure. <laughs> I love that. I, I want to see taco emojis all over the docs. Yeah, because it, that's what it is, right? You have a shell and you like stuff some lettuce and some, you know, carnitas in there and make it. Yeah. But yeah, so so then in the JavaScript bits, you would have uh, you know how your element behaves. What you know, maybe it does something fancy when you click on it. Maybe it does something fancy when it gets attached to the DOM. That's all your your decision. And those are based a lot of those based on lifecycle callbacks. So if you're if you're familiar with um, writing a component in, in React, uh, probably feels pretty similar. You know, um, the lifecycle callbacks are based on the the native custom element spec lifecycle callbacks. Um, and uh, yeah, we just make sure that uh, our stuff runs after after the native callbacks run, we run our callbacks on top of them. Um, and uh, you know, it's a good place to like synchronize your properties and set up your event listeners and stuff like that. Okay, so if I'm if I'm making a polymer element then or web component, then the like the life uh, cycle um, hooks that I'm hooking into are actually uh, like my code is getting called um, by Polymer, not by the native uh, lifecycle uh, hooks. Yeah, essentially. So it's what Polymer does. It's it it hooks the native um, callback. So I'll give you an example. Um, in the custom element spec, when you insert an element into the DOM, there's a callback that gets fired called connected callback. Um, I think in Polymer we have a shortened version, which we just say connected, if I recall. I could be mistaken. But because um, uh, we're, sorry, we're in the middle of working on Polymer v2 right now. So some of our things are, their names are changing. But essentially, all Polymer does is it hooks into the native connected callback. If it needs to do any work there, it does it. And then it calls your, your implementation of that connected callback. Um, so honestly, it, it feels like a one-to-one -one mapping. Like there's, there's, I've never experienced any place where uh, there was any sort of dissonance there. It just feels like I'm implementing the native one. Okay, cool. So another question kind of about that too is like, what uh, if I want to add a class or so, or, or um, maybe think more about the use case and rather, rather than implementation. So if I, if I want to have a, a, like a toggle button and I click on the button, it changes from blue to red, and then I click on it, it goes back to, uh, back to blue. Um, how would I accomplish that using um, Web Components or, or uh, Polymer in particular? Sure. So um, if you think about your toggle button, it looks like you've got some sort of like bar and a clickable thing, like the little round circle where it's hard. Um, so then, you know, on the div that you're clicking on, you can have a click handler. Um, and, when, and that's just like an event listener, normal JavaScript event listener. So when that gets called, you do something. You slide the little ball over to the right or to the left. Maybe you set a property like checked or not checked. Um, I think it's like five lines of code. It should be pretty easy. Okay, so um, in, in that scenario, like, am I attaching the event listener uh, via JavaScript, or is there like special attributes? I, I'm trying to think of this like connect it with my understanding of, of how React works and and like the really declarative um, approach there. Is it is it similarly? So I think it's easier. I think it's easier to think about HTML, not React. So in HTML, the way you would have, like if you had a normal button, uh, you would say on click equals, and then you put a function, and then somewhere in your script, you define that function. That's exactly how you would do it inside a web component. Inside of your, uh, inside of your taco, you have like the part about the DOM, what it looks like. You have a div, you have on click equals a function, and then in the code part of your web component, you have that function. It's exactly the same. Okay, and because of the web component specifications, the various um, of them, uh, that all of that logic is encapsulated, and so like we're we're not back in the dark days of um, global functions and on-click handlers and stuff. Yeah, that function lives in there. All the like the ID, you can put like an ID on that button and call it like button, and that ID would not leak out in the web. It, it would just sit inside of that element forever and ever. Yeah, actually, um, the the on-click handler. Um, Palmer does have special syntax for that. We say on dash click instead. Um, 
And I, I believe that is to avoid the global on-click handler thing. So Polymer does have syntax for declarative event handlers, just the same way that React does. Um, React camel cases, I believe, like they do on capital C click. We do on dash C click, but it's effectively the same thing. Okay, so in raw web components, if I were to use on click, like all lowercase, all the one word, um, would that use like the the global uh, function kind of namespace thing? Yeah, because Shadow DOM doesn't do any sort of JavaScript um, uh, scoping. That is left to JS modules. Um, so, uh, so yeah, uh, the, all the JavaScript stuff is is the exact same as it was, you know, before. We don't we don't do anything, or, or web components don't do anything to affect JavaScript uh, in any way. The only one sort of caveat to that is uh, they do encapsulate your your DOM, and so if you're calling something like query selector, you know, document query selector foo. Uh, that will not be able to poke inside of, of, of a, the, sort of the, the private bits of an element. And that's good. That, that prevents people from accidentally you know, looking for every p tag on the page and then mutating something inside of a component when they shouldn't. OK, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, cool. So um, yeah, I, I guess we can move on uh, to, to Shard. What, tell us about uh, RWC. So RWC provides a way to create web components using your favorite virtual DOM library and essentially have a more functional uh, approach to create it. So all so the DOM APIs are imperative in nature, and that's something which people have gotten. Uh, you know, uh, nobody starts, nobody uses it because they've been working with React and Cycle, and everybody loves the way of having a state at some particular place and just keep rendering the DOM using a virtual DOM library. So RWC provides that uh, functionality. So essentially, you just have three functions, uh, init, update, and a view. And init function provides you the initial state of the component. Update function is like a general reducer function like you have in Redux. And it gets two arguments. First is the state, and second is the action. And the view function returns the uh, the virtual DOM. Uh, so whenever there's an event that is fired on the view, automatically an action is dispatched uh, for the update function. Update function updates the states, and uh, essentially you keep re-rendering the uh, uh, virtual DOM. So technically, we are using a, a virtual DOM library to uh, create the shadow DOM of that particular web component. And the best part is it's awfully small. So if you have a web component that you want to share with somebody else, it's just the virtual DOM library that you need to, uh, uh, that person would need to download. And if you look at Preact and other, they're, they're barely two, three KBs. So that's uh, that's the best part. I mean, it's pretty small. Okay. So what are the virtual DOM libraries that people normally use with uh, RWC? So you could use any. I mean, uh, you, uh, if you go to the GitHub repo, it has uh, demos of React, MacWit, and SnapDOM, but you could use it with actual React or. Uh... Cool, uh, awesome. So, what what are some of the um, applications that, or not? But uh, like, what are some examples of components that you've built in it that where you're like, okay, yeah, this is this um, RWC thing, like reactive or declarative uh, type thing really shines. Like, what, what are some examples of that? So we built a small music app. Uh, I'll share the link later. Uh, essentially, it hits the API, uh, SoundCloud API to get uh, tracks. And uh, you can uh, basically list them on the screen. And uh, uh, every, every, the whole app is a web component. And uh, you have HTTP components for uh, uh, you have web components for making HTTP requests, and uh, uh, the best part about this approach is also that you could pass props to a component. So a web component, uh, if you're using the HTML directly, you cannot pass props uh, unless you use something imperative. Uh, but when you're using virtual DOM, you can actually pass props, and you can pass JavaScript objects without serializing, and just uh, and use that web component with real data. So yep you can create more complicated components that way. Oh, yeah. That, that was one thing that I actually wanted to, to ask about, but I, I totally forgot. So I'm glad you brought it up. It, um, so because things are um, like template strings, uh, you can actually pass references to objects with uh, raw web components. And so what you're saying is RWC is, uh, can 
uh, do the wiring for you to make it possible to pass uh, references to right. objects. So essentially, you're writing JavaScript, right? When you have a virtual DOM element, it's JavaScript, so you can pass any kind of props. Yeah, like functions and everything. You, you don't even yes. have to use the eventing system if you don't want to, for example. Exactly. Yep. So every, every event in the virtual DOM is dispatched as an action. And you can take the action and reduce the state and uh, create a new state. And yep. I did, I did want to mention something about that string only props thing, because it's, it's an important point. This was one of the things we were kind of discussing on Twitter with the React folks earlier was, um, so in, in just like vanilla HTML, right, <clears throat> uh, any element through attributes can only receive a string um, as, as a value. Uh, and then the corresponding thing is if you want to pass an object or an array, you have to say, OK, well, instead, I'll, I'll select that element in JavaScript and set a property to pass, pass that, that more complex thing. Um, this is something, though, that uh, this is not like a, a unique issue of web components. This is just HTML that we're talking about here that has this sort of limitation. Um, there's no standard way in HTML to pass an object except to set a property. And so you always have to have some sort of helper in order to do that, whether it's JSX, incremental DOM, uh, Angular's data binding system, Polymer's data binding system. You always need some mechanism. And, and all those data binding systems, all they secretly do is they take the attribute value and they look for the corresponding property, and then they just secretly set the property that way. Um, and so this is one of those things that I really, really wanna, like, think is important. Um, I don't want people to think that this is something that is just like a missing feature of web components. Really, this is just something the web platform right now can't do. Um, but it doesn't mean that you should not use web components because that you can't do this as part of HTML. It just means that you'll need a little helper library to do that. Um, so anyway, that's something that I just really wanted to get out there because it was, it was something we kept going back and forth with the React folks on. And um, it's, this is something that I would love to see maybe fixed or standardized in the platform. Like this would be a really cool feature to just have natively, like this ability but I, I think it might be tricky to do. Um, but again, this doesn't mean that you can't use web components because of this missing feature. It's something that you can just add in using a helper, like JSX or Diff HTML. So Rob, when you were referencing those, uh, you've mentioned these uh, conversations with React people on Twitter. Is there like a, something that you all use to keep track of that? Or can you drop like a link to one of them if anyone wants to fall into a Twitter hole to read about all this stuff? <laughs> Yeah, this was like a few a few weeks ago too. So, uh, but I'll I'll try and dig up the original discussion. It was a really good discussion. And I'm sorry, it makes cool. it sound like it was like contentious. It was actually a great discussion. Um, just figuring out like from people who use a lot of React, like what their perspective uh, was and and what they found lacking. Um, and so this is stuff that I think on our team, like Chrome DevRel, the people who are working on these standards, like we just need to discuss these things more, write about them more listen to people better, and, and if that's a pain point for them, try and figure out how we can uh, discuss it more easily. Cool. Awesome. Sounds good. I actually, I'm not going to say that. Never mind. Um, so <laughs> great. Um, I, we are coming down on our time. Uh, I totally forgot to mention, I think, at the beginning of the show uh, that people who are watching live can actually ask questions. We have a Q&A um, right now, actually. Um, and so if you want to ask questions, go to Twitter and with the hashtag JSAirQuestion, you can ask a question. Um, and so we'll go ahead and do our tips and picks right now. And if any questions pop up, um, I'll have that open and we can uh, jump back to those questions. So um, yeah, we'll go ahead and um, I'll, we'll have Pam go uh, with her tips and picks and then I'll go and then we'll have our guests um, give their tips and picks. So Pam, go ahead. Sure. So. Um... Uh, I'm going to, I have my tip for the week is, especially if you are in the States um, and you do have a Facebook account, I suggest deleting your Facebook app um, during the election season. Uh, <laughs> so that's my, one of my tips. I did it a few weeks ago and it's improved my life. Um, and <laughs> then uh, one of my picks related to that uh, is, um, this is actually just kind of, I found it interesting that the, the site itself isn't, the page itself is interesting too, of course, but um, NPR, uh, oh, sorry, uh, I have chaos happening. Uh, my cat is like trying to sit on my keyboard right now. 
Nice. Um, <laughs> yeah, you can't see her. But show, the like, cat, show the cat. Yeah. Show the cat. Show the cat. I'll try and like bring her on while you all are doing your picks. Um, but yeah, so uh, so yeah, so that fact check article was actually um, was NPR's most popular. Is they got the most traffic that they've ever gotten. Um, and then the relevant pick to today is uh, the I'm I'm sure one of you all uh, on the polymer team are going to mention it, but I'll steal your pick. Um, that the Polymer uh, Summit is coming up, and you can it, in London, October seventeenth to eighteenth, I believe. You're are you both speaking? Yep. That's what I thought. Um, and uh, registration is free, uh, and uh, I think you'll end up on a wait list, but um, you'll you might have good luck. And it also has a live stream, so uh, so check that out. All right, sweet. Thank you. Um, for me, I have a couple tips and a couple picks. So my first, uh, my first tip is vote, um, especially if you're in the United States at this time of, of great sadness and uh, whatever you want to call it. Um, um, I, I forbid you from complaining about anything if you don't vote. Um, so, um, yeah, that's, that's that. Um, for my other tip, um, if you know Elon Musk, um, I'd really appreciate an intro because I want him on the show. And I'm, I'm not joking. Um, I want to know about um, what the future of... Um, Does he uh, have things JavaScript to say about JavaScript? <laughs> yeah, I want to ask him about JavaScript in the web and what he sees as the future in, uh, in programming in the web and also kind of like what he thinks of you know, uh, programming being an important skill for people to know, uh, especially as, as we go to um, multiple planets. So anyway, if you know Elon Musk, let him know. I'm totally not joking. Um, so, yeah, and then for my picks, uh, Slice.js so far. This is um, a link to a gist that I just wrote this morning. Um, Slice.js, I, I mentioned this, I think, last week, um, is a, a project that I'm working on to do program slicing. And uh, it's coming along great. Um, I'm super, super excited about this. If you're not familiar with program slicing, um, the, this link will uh, take you to another link um, or, or has another link for it, like a, a talk at Strange Loop um, about it. And it's just the coolest idea. Just like picture this. You um, can like create the version of, of Lodash that um, has only the code that you will ever run, like only that code um, that you run in, in your app, um, which like even even if you say, OK, I only want these specific functions, sometimes even in those functions, uh, there's code that you're not running. Um, and you could do this re with React, potentially, or Angular. This would be a really, really difficult um, problem to solve. It's already been really difficult. But um, anyway, check that out. And if you want to help me out uh, with it, let me know. Um, and then my other pick is React.js just hit 50,000 stars. And they have this uh, celebratory post on their blog. And what's even more exciting is the awesome shirts that they have on Teespring. And it's just available for one week. So you want to jump on this. I bought five because I have a wife and three kids. So I have a onesie, and I have two toddler shirts, and I have a um, shirt for my wife and me. They're actually, it's a really, really cool shirt uh, designed by the Egghead IO designer, uh, Maggie. So yeah, that's that for me. Um, Monica, why don't we have you go next? OK, my tips and picks sort of meld into one section. Um, so if you are, if you always look for the emoji, if you never know what the emoji you want is, and you can only think of the word, and you're on a platform like Windows or Linux, it doesn't necessarily give you an emoji picker. Uh, my friend Juan makes all sorts of like emoji-related libraries, and she made something called emoji-cli. So it's a command line interface where you basically write down a keyword, like flowers or coffee. And it gives you all of the emoji that are related to that particular keyword. So it's great to find it, especially on Linux, where I don't think there's a, an easy emoji picker. So that's my tip pink link situation. Um, my pick for the week is a Twitter account and Electron. So I'll tell you first about Electron. Um, Electron is an awesome little thing that's uh, that's built on Chromium. And um, it basically lets you write sort of a native app that displays HTML. So I really hate native apps, uh, but I really like writing web pages. But I also really hate losing my tabs. This is a, a constant problem in my life. Um, and Electron basically lets me take a web app that I wrote and put it so that it sits on my Mac 
app bar so that I can actually get to it. Um, and I was really excited to learn it because I made a thing that tells me if my friend who lives in Taiwan is awake or not, because that's many time zones away and I don't really, I can't do really time zone math in my head. So I made a tiny little electron up and that was great. So that's electron. Um, my other pick for the week is a Twitter account called Punches Bears. And I'm getting worried because I think now I've mentioned it in like two talks and now that part of this podcast, so he might think I'm stalking him, but I'm not. So Punches Bears is an amazing dude who's writing a library for Unity, which is a game making thing. But basically he makes hilarious videos. They were previously of dancing bears to things like Shakira, and they were really sassy. And now he's pivoted, and he's making a game about um, throwing MacBooks at hipsters. Um, he also has videos of a game he was working on where you are a drunk person navigating a 7-Eleven at 3 a.m. trying to find a burrito, and you're like swinging around and running into things, and you're trying to get to that burrito. Um, these are the videos he produces. They're incredible. I don't know why you wouldn't follow him. Bunch of bears. That's it. Nice. Also, go vote. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Do you, know, do you know if any of his games have actually been released? Because I keep watching his videos, and I'm like, I want to play these games. And no, then they just, so they just becomes another video. None of them have. None of them have. I'm like, obsessively, the reason why I follow him is like, I can't wait. He drops that game, and I will spend all of my money on it. Like, he can easily take my money. Um, yeah. But now he's just posting videos. He's a hype-building machine. He's, I'm in it. <laughs> Awesome. Cool. Rob, why don't you go next? Okay. Uh, so I got, I wrote down a whole bunch of stuff, but I'm going to go real fast. Um, one is a link that I actually am going to share, uh, which is called Using React App Techniques at the Web Component Level with Redux, Virtual DOM, and JSX. It is a, it's an awesome, super meaty blog post by the folks over at Component Kitchen. Uh, so that's just a cool thing to read. Uh, I have a tip, which I just I learned recently because I, uh, I was on my honeymoon had a rental car, and uh, you know when you're driving a car that you are not familiar with and you're wondering which side the gas cap is on? Um, if you look at the dashboard and you look at the little icon that shows the, the gas pump, the gas light, it'll have an arrow that points one way or the other. That arrow tells you which side the gas cap is on. But yeah, I know, right? No one knows that, but it's just like some I random... Know. <laughs> I know, right? But it totally works. It's amazing. So, uh, so that's my life pro tip. I just hopefully changed a lot of lives. Um, and then my picks, I got a few. Uh, there's a restaurant in, in Maui, and I think there's one in Portland called Slappy Cakes, where you get a griddle and they give you a squeeze bottle and you get to draw your own pancake batter and draw your own pancake shapes and stuff and then put coconut syrup on it. It's amazing. Uh, the Elon Musk biography by Ashley Vance. I'm actually reading that right now. It's an amazing book. And that, that SpaceX Mars video yesterday was just like totally mind blowing. Uh, and the last thing is this, uh, this Corgi sticker that I got from Cotton Bureau. Cotton Bureau makes really dope t-shirts, and I got this really cool Corgi sticker with my last one. I like the t-shirt. I really love the sticker. So, um, so, so good on you, Cotton Bureau, for that sticker. That's it. Fantastic. Thanks, Rob. Make sure if you could link those up for me, that'd be helpful. Um, all right, uh, Tushar. Yeah, uh, so sorry, I, don't, I just have one link. I just saw it today in the morning, so there's a pretty cool video by uh, Daniel Clifford about how you can optimize uh, the, uh, basically break the speed limit of JavaScript and optimize V8 and um, run your JavaScript at really crazy uh, speeds. So I'll put a link um, um, on, the, uh, uh, on the website, I guess. So yeah, that's it pretty much. I didn't get time for more. Oh, that's all right. Thank you so much. Um, all right, so that's that's it. So just got a couple uh, final shout-outs and some links for everybody. So uh, big thanks to our silver sponsors. Uh, thanks to React.js program. They help you master React and React Native. Find them at jsr.io slash reactjs-program. And thanks to Hired.com. They bring job offers to you. Uh, find them at jsr.io slash Hired. Um, and then if you go to jsr.io slash suggest. You can suggest episodes and topics and guests um, for us. Um, I definitely look at those. I get an email every single time somebody submits a form. Um, so yeah, that'd be great. And jsair.io slash feedback is similar form um, where you can submit feedback on the show, like the spe specific episode or the show in general. Really appreciate that. Even if it's just to say thanks, it keeps me going. Um, and then jsair.io slash email. Um, we'll take you to our previous newsletters and, and a place where you can sign up for the newsletter. 
um, which is great. Uh, one other thing that I don't normally mention, but I, um, I would really appreciate uh, reviews on your favorite podcasting site, iTunes, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Uh, reviews are, are helpful. Um, I want to help as many people as possible. So if you, this has helped you, then uh, help other people find it. Um, and so again, next week's show is not nailed down quite yet. And uh, so keep an eye on the website or subscribe to the calendar, jsr.io slash calendar, um, where you can subscribe to that. And uh, yeah, that's, that's it. So thanks, everybody, for coming. This has been a great discussion. I've learned some things about web components. And uh, I think people should give them, a, give them a go. So that's it. Thanks, everyone. Yay. Bye. Yay, thanks for having us. Bye. Thanks. Thank you.